0: This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Saturday, September 2nd, 2023. I'm Caleb Brown. Thankfully, national conservatives appear largely unable to coalesce around a shared right-wing vision of a more intrusive government, even as Republicans are seeming to welcome it. Now, freedom conservatives have arrived to provide a statement on behalf of a relatively less intrusive government. Stephanie Slade follows the range of thinking within the new right. We spoke earlier this week. Is it your view that national conservatives, such as they are, had a moment, will have a moment, missed out on a moment, or how do you characterize it?
1: I think there was a moment, um, especially after everybody sort of emerged of their shock following the 2016 election and and Donald Trump winning, um, when there was this attempt to build a sort of intellectual superstructure around the trump movement and that that has come to be known as national conservatism so they launched these conferences and they launched new journals and magazines and new um advocacy organizations and and whatnot and and there there has been a moment there um the question though is is whether um they're correctly captured the 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 Forces that brought, that swept Donald Trump into office. And I don't think for the most part, I mean, I think they, they, they're, what we've seen is initially there was a focus among, by the Natcons on economic nationalism and economic policy and free trade is bad. And we need a, a muscular government that is willing to sort of um, intervene in the economy in various ways. They were, you know, there was a pro-tariffs, pro-industrial policy, so on and so forth. And what you've seen is now more and more over, over the last few years, it's become about a movement that's all about the culture war, because it turns out that that, I think, is the real force that swept Donald Trump into is a sense among many Americans uh, on the right that people like us are under attack, and we're no longer welcome in our own country, and we want somebody who's going to fight back against the left. And that's what swept Donald Trump into office, and that's now what the NATCOM movement is increasingly about.
0: How successful have they been? I mean, if you look at elections in 2022, you might say, not great.
1: Yeah, I mean- Listen, Donald Trump has not been a great person to have either on the ballot or behind the candidates you have running for office. So, you know, the the two midterm elections since he sort of emerged on the scene were not great for Republicans, and he lost, you know, the the White House in twenty twenty. So, and last year there was or. Two years ago now. What, what, what is time? Um, uh, so in, in the, in the last set of midterms, there, there were a bunch of candidates who were endorsed by Donald Trump. In some cases, they, they defeated what would have been considered more traditional conservative primary, you know, Republican primary, um, opponents in order to win the Republican primary. And they, so these were the MAGA candidates, the really extreme Donald Trump-ish candidates, um, who, who, re- Reflected in many ways the new right or national conservative belief that what matters is acquiring power and wielding against our enemies, right? That's sort of the line that you hear coming out of this camp nowadays. So you had a bunch of candidates who were voicing the, that view, and most of them lost. Um, J.D. Vance, now Senator J.D. Vance, would be the, the main exception, and to a certain extent, Ron DeSantis, who of course um, you know, had a, a, a runaway victory um, in his reelection campaign for governor in Florida. Um, those were maybe the two exceptions. There were new right-ish, nat condish candidates who did well, but a bunch of others, you know, notably Carrie Lake, for example, did poorly. So, yeah, it's unclear whether this is actually a, a winning message. It does seem it, 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 it it's hard to judge because, at the on the one hand, it does seem like Donald Trump is. um Almost, almost impossible to take down when it comes from when it comes to being a Republican primary voter. Um, Every time he's indicted, it actually makes him stronger. So, you know, Um, but but on the other hand, uh, when you go to a general election, these ideas and this this again this idea that politics is all about acquiring power and wielding it against our enemies actually doesn't seem to be very popular in the in the general population.
0: Okay, so having borne witness to this. Uh, A group of conservatives have sort of coalesced around this idea of freedom conservatism, which sort of harkens back to uh, a more bright-eyed, positive vision for America. And and how do you characterize those people and, and sort of what they are advocating as they struggle for the soul of the Republican Party?
1: If you think, if most people think about politics in terms of the left-right spectrum, but but people like us tend to also want to add an an additional dimension, which is the sort of liberal illiberal dimension, right? You have you can have people who are on the left but they are liberal. You can have people who are on the left but are illiberal, and you can also have people who are on the right who are liberal, classically liberal, believing in limited government and individual liberty and rule of law. Or you can have people who are on the right; they're conservatives, but they're illiberal. They want to embrace big government and use it again to destroy their enemies and. So and impose their values on society. Um, what we what we have seen is now the natcons are one among several factions who are on the illiberal right. Um, the freecons, the freedom conservatives, are sort of the people who were uh, remaining on the liberal right, the conservatives, um, and, and in some cases libertarians, people on the center right, you know, moderates, people who are like more or less in favor of limited government and free speech, religious liberty, all the sort of things that you used to. Be in favor of if you were conservative, but now many conservatives reject, and they're saying we we are still here and we still think these values are are relevant and are important and worth defending.
0: So, what what do they point to? I mean, we know sort of national conservatism is this uh, culture war and big government to Im- impose the a vision of both the economy and the culture. Uh, but what do freedom conservatives hang their hat on? Is it just Goldwater and Reagan <laughs> revisited.
1: Well, of course, the the folks on the illiberal right would say, yeah, you're all just zombie Reaganists. That's all this is. They're they're or they call it a dead consensus. Um, but what the free are saying, the free, the freedom conservatives are saying, is it's not dead. It's actually there's still a lot of us who still believe that. For example, if you want to help, um, if you want to help workers. Um, but rather than empowering labor unions or imposing regulations on business or trying to choose winners and losers that prop up American manufacturers at the expense of foreign competitors or whatever, whatever the natcons might put forward as a policy solution, the freedom conservatives would say, actually, no, unleashing free markets, productivity, innovation, entrepreneurship, you know, these are the ways to strengthen an economy. Economic growth and, and, um, all of those things are the things that actually help workers just as much or even more than anyone else because the more an economy, you know, the faster an economy grows, the more jobs are created, the more opportunities there are available for workers, the more bargaining power they have to take to their employer to, to negotiate for better pay or better benefits or whatever the case may be. And so, you know, one solution to saying, you, you know, we want to help workers is saying we will have the, the, the government try to brute force outcomes that we choose, you know, that we, that we have identified that we want to see or by regulating them into existence or do you, you know, regulating the outcomes we don't like out of existence. Um, and the other solution is to say we want as productive and, you know, and, and, um, Efficient an economy as we can possibly create because then everybody can, everybody has as much bargaining power as possible so that they can end up in the job that they want to be in, where they can be most productive, where they can have the most control over their life and how they make a living, and that this is actually much better for the workers themselves. Because that's the kind of thing that they, the, the freedom conservatives, I think, would agree with me on. I mean, this is what, this is the argument I would make. It's the argument, in fact, I did make in my review of Sorba Mari's recent book. I think the freedom conservatives would say, yeah, Free markets are not just good in theory. They're good because they help people better than the, any whatever big government solution the natcons might put forward.
0: I see on this list of signatories on this freedom conservatism a lot of people that I've spoken to for this podcast and people that I have known for uh, many years and they all seem like, like we're recording this at the State Policy Network and the State Policy Network sort of has, re- represents that in a lot of ways.
1: Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, the thing, the thing that was so su- surprising about the national conservatism movement initially was its rejection of free markets and the one of the main things that i think unites most of the sort of member organizations of the state policy network is a commitment to free market economics right this is a, this is a thing that was at one time almost synonymous with being a conservative in the american context not necessarily if you go to europe or something but here a conservative is somebody who believes in free market economics that's i think going to be a consensus at a place at a, at a place like SPN, um, but it is no longer necessarily a consensus in the larger conservative movement because of the emergence of this NatCon and, and all the other illiberal, I hate, I hate to say it to be pedantic, but um, on the new right, on the illiberal right, there are actually a bunch of factions. The Natcons are only one of those factions. And they don't always all get along with each other or like each other. So there's now been there's been an intra illiberal right or intra-new right um, divorce between, for example, the Catholic integralists and the Natcons and whatnot. So there are a bunch of factions over there, but the Natcons are probably the most well known at this point.
0: And you know, for for people who are familiar or maybe less than familiar with uh State Policy Network, you know, all the people that I run into around here, like like I said, many of them signatories on this uh, statement of freedom conservatism, is uh, they're on the ground doing policy, and they are seeking wins with people they might not agree with all the time. And that seems to me, at least intuitively, uh, something to strive for that the NatCons do not seem interested in.
1: That's right. One of the one of the like sort of distinguishing characteristics of um, of the natcons and again all, all the all the factions on the new right or the illiberal right is a sense that politics is war, and they don't just mean that figuratively. I mean, they they like to invoke uh, the the German political philosopher Carl Schmidt and say politics. The essence of politics is the friend enemy distinction, um, and so we ought to be using acquiring and using, wielding public power in order to reward our friends and punish our enemies, and they really do mean that anybody on the left or anybody on the right who stands in their way, right? So somebody somebody like me, a libertarian, would be considered an enemy as far as they're concerned because I won't endorse their desire to use power in this way, and so, um, I, I should be destroyed. I should be eliminated from the conversation. Um, that that sense that politics is war, I've called it um, a sort of game of thrones approach to politics or will to power politics. Um, politics as war is is not the traditional way that sort of the conservative movement, the free market movement, the right of center, you know the types of people who are walking around the state policy network, or or whatnot, um, would tend to approach because, especially the people who are trying to get policy reform done at the state level, which many of these groups are, um, they know they that's just it's a luxury that you really can't afford if you're trying to actually get stuff done. You know where the rubber meets the road.
0: And it, correct me if I'm wrong, but a lot of the uh, national conservatives, it seems like to the extent that Donald Trump is not president anymore, uh, it feels like they're kind of seeking relevance uh, in a way that allows them the luxury of going hard, as it were, that is leaning way into a lot of illiberal ideas in order to capture what? Certainly not the median voter.
1: Not the median voter. I will say that these ideas in my in my experience covering this movement, um, what I've noticed is that these ideas tend to be more attractive to young people. So you're 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 getting a lot of especially young men on college campuses who find this this the intensity of this movement very attractive. And what is a little bit what makes me nervous about that is if you have the next generation of Catholic priests buying into Catholic integralism, or if you have the next generation of, and, and we are seeing this already, people of young know, young people coming out of college and going to work on Capitol Hill for the, for these new members of Congress and, you know, Senator Josh Hawley or Senator J.D. Vance um, or the next Republican White House, you know, in the next Republican administration, if these are folks who buy into these ideas who are going to be staffing, you know, the the people in positions of power going forward and bringing this vision of politics as war into the high places in our country, that makes me nervous. So even if they don't represent the median voter, if they represent the next generation, that's something to be concerned about and why I make a point of keeping my eye on
0: what's going on over there. Stephanie Slade is a senior editor at Reason. We spoke earlier this week in Chicago. Subscribe to and rate the Cato Daily Podcast wherever you please. And thank you for listening.